news, the beta reader matchup is now open for March. Are you looking for beta readers, some of whom might potentially become writing group members down the line? Are you wanting to be matched up with those writing in a similar genre and time zone so they can critique your work as you critique theirs at the same time? Your manuscript doesn't have to be complete to sign up. This particular matchup will be open to registrations from now until the 31st of March, with the matchup emails going out on the 1st of April. The only April Fools will be those who haven't signed up. For more information and to register, go to biancamaray.com, look for the Beta Reader Matchup tab, and please spread the word. The more writers we have signed up, the better the matches will be. Hello, listeners. This is your co-host, Cece, and I'm so excited to tell you about my upcoming webinar, Writing Tension. Join me on Thursday, April 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time via Zoom to learn all about creating tension, conflict, and stakes in a story. This is a super popular writing webinar I offer, and it's filled with expert breakdowns, practical tips, formulas for cracking these elements, and real examples from novels that will help you dial up the tension in your story in actionable ways. And this year, I'm doing something extra. On the Monday after the webinar, we're having a live, cozy 90-minute Q&A session in which you'll get a chance to ask your questions about the webinar. That means we'll get to hang out for two days total. And if you can't attend the webinar, and or the cozy Q&A session, don't worry. They will be recorded and shared with everyone who's registered. There are limited spots for this webinar in this new format. So if you're interested, check out the link on my Instagram page and sign up. The handle is at agent. That's at C-E-C-E-L-Y-R-A agent. I hope to see you there. Hi there, and welcome to my show, The Shit No One Tells You About Writing. I'm your host, Bianca Murray. Today's guest is the internationally best-selling author of the Ten Tiny Breaths series and the Burying Water series, as well as the novels He Will Be My Ruin, Until It Fades, Keep Her Safe, The Simple Wild, Be The Girl, and Say You Still Love Me. Her books have been featured in national publications including USA Today, Globe and Mail, Suspense Magazine, Publishers Weekly, Oprah Mag, and First for Woman. She has been nominated for the Goodreads Choice Award for Best Romance 2013 for 10 Tiny Breaths and Best Romance 2018 for The Simple Wild. Keep Her Safe made Suspense Magazine's Best of 2018 list for Romantic Suspense. It's my pleasure to welcome K.A. Tucker. Kathleen, it's so wonderful to have you as a guest on my show today. Thank you for joining us. I was thinking back to when you and I met, and it feels like forever ago, but it was only January. This year, right? (laughs) Right. This year, it feels like eons ago. And this was pre-COVID when people could still get together in restaurants. And we got together in Toronto, a whole bunch of women writers, Canadian women writers getting together to support each other and meet each other and, and network. And I was lucky enough to sit next to Kathleen, but I I had no idea who Kathleen was. And one of the authors to my side uh, asked her name and Kathleen introduced herself and she started fangirling hard. And then I was like, oh shit, I'm sitting next to someone super important and I've been acting like quite a dweeb. And then uh, 
Kathleen and I started chatting on social media. And since then, I've read Kathleen's books. It's wonderful now to to be able to say that I, I am fangirling hard too. So Kathleen, what I'd like to chat to you about today is your switch between genres because you have published a lot of books and you have done romance, you've done suspense. I think you've done like a bit of YA fantasy, if I'm not mistaken. That's what I started with, actually. Yeah. Right. So I kind of want to um, look at that progression and why you changed and why you ended up where you did. And I'd also like to chat about self-publishing because something that we told as authors when we setting out is how difficult it is to self-publish and how difficult it is to make it as a self-published author, which is why I think so many of us tend to just go for traditional publishers and hope like crazy that we get a publisher behind us. And you've been traditionally published and you have self-published, so you've seen both sides of the equation. And I feel like you could really give us the pros and cons of each. So let's start with the progression in terms of genre. You started with YA fantasy. Sure. Yeah. So, um, and thanks by the way, for having me today. It's kind of fun to do this. I'm so happy to see you again after whatever, 10 months, I guess it is now, or but it feels like like 11 million months. So so I started writing, it was completely for myself, which I mean, I think probably most people do, but it wasn't, I had no plans to publish at all. I was on maternity leave and I had two little girls at home. You know, I'm, I'm Canadian. So as you know, we have year long maternity leaves and that's that's a long stretch. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing, but it can be a long thing. And especially when you have some tough babies, which I did. And so for me, writing just became an escape. It was just something I had an idea and and I just had this, you know, YA fantasy mishmash vampires, paranormal, I don't even know what you call it. And I just went with it and I started writing and writing and writing. And then all of a sudden I realized that this was a real passion of mine and um, it's something that I wanted to pursue still as a hobby because I had a full career um, in sales that I'd worked very, very hard for. And I mean, you know, the story that you, you can't really get anywhere in publishing and how difficult it is and, and you'll be the poor writer and I, I don't want to be the poor writer. So, but it was something that I just felt I needed to do. And so at that point, I started researching traditional publishing as well as self-publishing, because at that time, self-publishing was really starting to take off. So before that, I mean, people were self-publishing. What year was this? Because I think at that point, they were still considering it like vanity publishing. So there was a stigma still at this point. It was 2000, I guess I started doing the research in, I want to say 2010. And so I started doing some research and yeah, so there was still the stigma, but Amazon was coming on board um, in a big way, you know, the opportunities to self-publish were growing. Bloggers were becoming very, very important on the online presence was becoming very important around that time. It was just starting, I should say. And so through research, obviously, I mean, I think I sent a couple queries out to agents, didn't get a bite back that thought, whatever, well, I love this story. I want someone to read it why don't I just self-publish? And so that's when I I started going down that path and I started doing research on editors and et cetera, et cetera, and cover artists and and everything, just how to, how to publish. And so I self-published that first book and I, it was at the right time. So there weren't, the market was not saturated and I was able to get some traction with bloggers. And then I published the next one. I published the next one. 
And then right around that time, that was 2012, everything was really taking off. Romance was really taking off. Self-publishing was really taking off. Sorry, when I say romance was taking off, obviously romance has always been huge, but indie publishing romance was really taking off. There was quite a lot of fan fiction at that point, wasn't there? Um, Yes. You know, based on Twilight, on all other books, a lot of people writing fan fiction. Yeah, a lot of people. I think there were a lot of people around that time. Stephanie Meyer was actually, she sparked a lot of ambition in people. They, They were saying, you know, they heard her story and they thought, well, she can do it. I can do it. So there were a lot of, a lot of people like that. And I had an idea and that's a lot of the time when we talk about me jumping genres, it's because I have an idea and my ideas don't necessarily fit in one bucket, right? I'm not just like, Oh, and I know I'm probably a marketing person's worst nightmare, especially in publishing, but, (laughs) but, but I don't really fit into, you know, I kind of, I have to go with my gut. So at that point I had this idea for 10 tiny breaths and I thought, Oh, I've got to write this story. And I, I, I was the fastest I've ever written a story and I got it out. And the funny thing is I always think about if I had published that book six months earlier, I might've had a different career. Six months later, I might've had a different career. And I'm um, just in the types of offers that friends were getting. And then six months later, in the types of offers people were getting. And so I hit right at the right time. I think it was a lot of luck there. And I self-published that book and it took off. And, and frankly, It was my first romance that I've ever written, and I loved writing that. And so I've gone from writing just YA fantasy to realizing how much I love romance. And and, I mean, I've always loved romance and everything, even the books I read, you know, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, even the the darkest fantasy type male written books. There's still that spark of romance that I need. Um, So that's not, I guess, overly surprising. But contemporary romance, I loved so, and then from there, I mean, I signed with my agent and I signed with my, um, my publisher. Was that based on the success of the self-publishing? Yep. So that was, again, it was right at that time when publishers, specifically the one that signed me, they were actively out there looking to see what was hot in the market, what was doing well. They were kind of combing through what was popular, I guess, at that point. And that's when they picked up my book and they read it. And an editor contacted me right after, I remember January 2nd, right after the publishing, everything opened up again, right? Because they shut down between Christmas and New Year's. And so it just kind of, it went really fast from there. And at that point, I had to make a decision of, am I doing this or am I, or am I going to continue doing this as a small hobby and continue with my life and my career and everything? Because I can't do it all. So, I mean, it was a no brainer, <laughs> like, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so then I signed on with my publisher and I signed quite a few contracts with them. I think I was probably four or five contracts with them. Um, they were just revolving, you know, one after another, after another with four books and, you know, another four books and then a couple more books. And, and when I signed those or when I, yeah, when I signed the contracts, they were, they were based on ideas. And sometimes they weren't even based on ideas. They were like, here's one idea and here's a 200 word description, say for burying water, it's going to be a, a, you know, a girl found near dead in the woods in the winter. And that's kind of basically all I had for the pitch of that story. And and then three other books in that world. And that was it. So, so yeah, so I, I did that for quite a bit. And then I, I was kind of all over the place. I wrote romance and then I wrote a contemporary romance. And then I wrote four books of romantic suspense because that's where I was kind of edging more into just naturally it's just those darker storylines but to be frank they don't sell as well as contemporary romance and then unless you're like a jd rob or 
you know, or Sandra Brown or something like that, someone like that. And then, yeah. And then I guess I just bounced around a bit. I wrote, he will be my rune, which is because it was just like as dark and thrillery. And I wanted to write murder for whatever reason at that point. And then, and then I went to, I think until it fades, which was like a Cinderella-esque story, <laughs> which was like a palate cleanser. So when I say I'm, I'm definitely probably someone's nightmare for marketing, I, I'm not exaggerating. And just on that, like, do you find that your readers will read anything you write? Or do you find that you have readers that are very specifically the one or the other, and they kind of read the blurb to see which one it is before they decide to buy it? Like how much author loyalty is there compared to genre loyalty? I say, I would say it's a mix. So I have Contemporary romance is definitely my my biggest readership, but I have I do have readers who will go anywhere for me or with me, which is fantastic, but it's not by any means my my entire readership. And then I it's funny I have some that will read say Keeper Safe or He Will Be My Rune and they loved it and they just I want more thriller. I want more suspense and dark stuff. And I'm like, well, it's not, it's not paying the bills. So um. <laughs> when, when you were backwards and forwards between those genres, were you ever tempted to write under a different name? Because, you know, like you say, marketing person's worst nightmare as authors, we told to kind of brand ourselves, you know, you need to be like a Frederick Buckman where all your books are in that same vein. And with you changing genres backwards and forwards, did you ever think, okay, well, some I'll do under Kathleen, some I'll do under KA or, or no? Well, you know what? It was it was never a conversation that we had. And in hindsight, when I go back and I look at you know, look at my experience. I, I frankly, I should have stuck with contemporary romance and I should have, I should have put out however many books, but at the same time, I think I probably would have been stifled me as a, a kind of a creative person because of who I am. And because I, I need to go with my gut and I get an idea for a story. And sometimes I don't know how dark that story is going to be or how light that story is going to be until I've actually written it in terms of writing under a different name. That was never really a conversation that came up with the publisher. And I think because they were trying to brand me K.A. Tucker and build that name, it's not something that they were pushing. I feel like a a bit of my career might have been, this is just me kind of in a gut field, not anything that my publisher and I ever discussed, but I, I almost feel like I was a bit of an experiment, like to see, okay, we put her out. This is her style of writing. Let her try this, let her try that, see what sticks kind of thing. That's, that's, I almost felt a little bit like that when I look back at it now. And I feel like as writers, we are a bit like actors in some way. I mean, you'll see somebody like Viola Davis. She will do sort of two blockbusters to make the money from them. And then she'll do some small kind of artsy film for her. For you as a writer, you knew where your bread and butter was, where the money was coming in, but you want to do also for your own sanity, for your own creative life, you wanted to explore other genres, which I think it's wonderful that that you got to do that. Like I think of somebody like John Grisham, who wrote all of these courtroom dramas, and then he wrote A Painted House, and mm -hmm. people came to it and they were like, what the hell, man? This is a house in the middle of nowhere and there's no <laughs> lawyers in sight. What the hell are you doing? And I feel like after that, he, you know, he, he wasn't able to be experimental again, unless he published under a different name and, and we're not aware of that. So after all of these, how did you come back from traditional publishing to self-publishing? Well, so at the end of my last contract, my publisher and I parted ways. At that point, I had published 14 books with them. And um, I think at that point, both of both sides felt like we had worked together as far as we were going to work together. And then at that point, it, I was going to be published 
publishing Wild at Heart. And, and I knew that I was going to be publishing that. And I did, frankly, did not want to give that to anybody. And I knew that I didn't need to give that to anybody because I've written 14 books, well, more, but um, at that point, 14 with a publisher and I had already built a bit of an audience. And um, so people knew my name. There was some name recognition. I was able to, I'm able to reach my readers through my website, the, the ones who are loyal and following me. I knew that I could, and, and because this is a sequel to a book that had done quite well, The Simple Wild is doing very well now, I should say, uh, or steadily climbing. Um, when I released it in 2000, I want to say when we released it in 2018, it was a very quiet, soft release. I mean, there was there was really nothing. It was in August. It was like the the basics, you know, when you, when the publisher basics, like the okay, we'll give you a blog tour and we'll do a cover reveal and you know a couple of things here and there, get some reviews and arcs and stuff like that's kind of like the basic package for publishing. And that's that's basically what I had, mind you. I, I will say the Canadian team was fantastic in the sense that they got me on um, it was a, on television for a news morning show. But again, that was one touch point. You know, you know, you need so many touch points in order for a book to to gain any traction. One show is not going to do it. One review from you know a newspaper is not going to do it. So you need a you need a big bucket of of stuff. Anyway, so it was very quiet. But what in two years later, it had gained momentum 100% because of the readers, because of bloggers and readers reading and reviewing and passing on to their friends and their family. And so at that point, I knew that I would be able to deliver a book that people would want, and I wouldn't need to do it with the help of a publisher. Yeah, you can never underestimate the power of a passionate reader who has loved a book and who wants to scream from the rooftops how amazing it is and and wants to put it in other people's hands. Um, And I follow you on Instagram and you have an extremely loyal following. There are so many bookstagrammers who post covers of your books, who post reviews, and that's how I, I would have gotten to know you if I hadn't met you. Purely would have been on bookstagram because romance isn't a genre that I that I generally read. Yeah, you're extremely, extremely well known there and your fans are, are wonderfully loyal. Okay, so so then you decided to follow it up with a um, sequel and that you then self-published and that did phenomenally well. Yes, Wild at Heart did well. And then from, I mean, well, and then the pandemic hit and everything, everything, was, everything was weird. And then at that point, I mean, when I, so when I left um, my publisher, my left Atria, I'd been with them for six years. I think it was about that in 14 books and however many contracts. And it felt a little bit like a divorce, to be honest. And so there were a couple editors who were asking about me and contacting my agent and um, interested in a romance. But at that point, I was very much I in a position where I did not want to jump back into another relationship. That's, you know, that's really what it is. Um, and kind of almost like another marriage because you're signing a contract. So at that point, I just decided, you know what, I'm, I'm, and that's where I'm at now, where I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of enjoy this a little bit in terms of having some flexibility. I learned some things about myself, one being that while I can write to a deadline, I don't want to. <laughs> so, and I don't want to do it for 14 books or however many books. 14 books in six years. That's crazy. How many books were you having to turn in every single year? Uh, so when I was writing 10 Tiny Breaths and Burying Water, I think I was at three books a year. So that was extremely stressful um, that I agreed to it. So, um, you know, I agreed to it. And it part of it was because of the market, because it's romance and, and, and everybody was just hungry. The readers are very hungry. So 
if I wanted to keep up the pace with what was happening in the market at that point, I couldn't be releasing one book a year. Not like that, but those books were a little bit easier to write than some of my later ones, like The Simple Wild and Keep Her Safe. That took like over a year for me to write. Also, um, frankly, I agreed to it because I was leaving a, a lucrative career and I, I needed to kind of make it make sense in terms of I needed to balance that out financially. So yeah, but I mean, they would have been, ATRA would have been fine if I had to say, you know what, slow down, I cannot do this. And it, when it, it did get to that point where both of us were like, we cannot be publishing this many books, this doesn't make sense. And so we did slow down to two books a year. And then we were doing one book a year at near the end. My youngest son starts kindergarten this year. I can't believe it. One of the tricky things, though, about my kids being in French immersion school and me not having French as a language myself is worrying about how we're going to assist with homework as they get bigger. They're young now, but I see it coming. We are very lucky, though, to live in Ottawa, which is a bilingual city of a million people. And we have bilingual friends and francophone friends. So it's going to be really easy for our kids to pick it up at a young age through school and sports activities. But me, on the other hand, growing up where French class wasn't taken too seriously and we goofed off. I am so sorry, Madame Corrigan. We're going to have to make up the difference. And that is where Rosetta Stone comes in as the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. Immersion is a proven way to learn a language. Instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals, reading stories, participating in dialogues, and other practical language skills to fast track your ability to communicate fluently. There are no English translations in the product. You're getting trained to listen, speak, read, write, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone users especially love the speech recognition feature. As you practice speaking, Rosetta Stone uses advanced voice recognition technology to match your audio to audio from native speakers, and then gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. You can really hone those pronunciations, which we know is key to sounding fluent. It offers 25 languages from Spanish, French, Italian, German, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, even Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. This is the best language program to get because they have been the expert for 30 years and used by millions, thousands of companies and government organizations use Rosetta Stone to support language learning training online. Of all the apps, it is the best at speech recognition technology, so it compares your sound waves to those of native speakers. Rosetta Stone has a patented speech recognition engine called True Accent built into the program. So as you practice speaking, you're going to get your feedback on how well you're pronouncing words, other language apps use speech recognition to detect what you said, but Rosetta Stone tells you how well you said it compared to native speakers. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Think about the cost of a one-month language course. Think about the cost of a one-hour private tutoring session. But with Rosetta Stone, you enjoy a lifetime membership and accessibility on desktop or app. And right now we have a special offer for you guys that is 50% off. That is lifetime access to 25 language courses on Rosetta Stone for 50% off, a complete steal. Do not put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the shit no one tells you about writing listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's visit rosettastone.com slash today. 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Calling all memoirists. I'm so excited to let you know that I've put together an incredible all about memoir lineup 
for Saturday the 11th of May from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time in which six amazing speakers guide you through everything you need to know to write a memoir that will sell. You'll get opportunities to ask questions of best-selling memoirists while also standing a chance to have your query letter live critiqued during the webinar. To see the awesome lineup and to register, go to biancamaray.com. There's an early bird promotion for the first 50 delegates who sign up. Come and join us and get your memoir groove on. I think that's usual for the romance industry. I know people who write for Harlequin who, you know, have to turn around sort of three books a year as well, which is, I mean, that's a book every four months. I take about two years per book. (laughs) I I, I could never write in the romance uh, genre. I would just be way, way too slow. Okay, so having experienced traditional publishing, having experienced self-publishing, what are the pros and cons of each? Let's look at traditional publishing. What are the pros of that? So I would say for me, uh, one was the strengthening my craft because I was working with such an incredible editor. So having a an, an editor, a content editor, acquisitions editor, not just I'm not talking about someone to cross your, you know, T's and dot your I's and and do all the grammatical little little things, which are is also very valuable to go through that process when when you do get there, right? I when anytime I get my manuscripts that have been copy edited, I go through everything. I don't ever just, you know, accept or set things. I I try and evaluate and learn from everything. But that being said, that aside, working with high caliber editor for that many books, and I had one editor for most of that, almost all of them. That was fantastic. I learned so much from her. So that in that sense, I would say that's a huge plus. Um, when you're self-publishing, unless you have a, a lot of money, basically to say, you know what, I'm going to spend thousands of dollars on an editor and I'm going to pay for content editor. Most people aren't doing that. So when you're traditionally publishing, you get that kind of as as the package. Right. And, and you get what? You get your editor who you work with. You get a copy editor who's checking for consistency, who's checking for mistakes. And then you get a proof reading yes. editor who yes. looks for, you know, misplaced commas or et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, yeah. it's like that. if you were paying for that for yourself, that's three different editors you'd have to pay for. Yeah. And I mean, I've heard the arguments from typically there are people who haven't gone through um, traditional publishing. They haven't balanced both sides and, you know, they think, okay, well, I'm just going to pay for an editor and, and whoopie-doo, that's great. No, I mean, I've been on both sides. And frankly, I do. I have a great self editor that I go through my self-published work. She's fantastic as well. Brilliant. And I keep going back to her because she's brilliant, but she's doing mainly copy editing. I'm not getting that content editing from her. So it, it makes a difference. So I would say there's that. And then I would say, really, it's reaching booksellers, reaching libraries, those are all, those are key players in, in the industry that, and they're invaluable. I don't know how many times I'll get a message from somebody saying that they were passed my name or my book by a bookseller or a librarian, and then they fall in love and are now reading all of my books. So those, those people are true champions and to be able to tap into that segment um, and those people is, is critical. Um, For me, I would say kind of those are, you know, those are the big buckets there's obviously also the expertise. If you if you don't have the expertise or if you aren't you don't have the skill set to figure things out, like figure out publishing and publicity and social media and et cetera, then having a publisher does help. But if you're someone who can figure that kind of stuff out, which I think frankly a lot of people in today's world have to be, then you know, you could figure it out. 
So put it that way. So that's traditional publishing in terms of self-publishing. So I would say, I mean, the first and foremost is control. Uh, that's not foremost, but first is control. You know, you you control everything and you get to you make all the choices. Now, if if you're a person who has struggles with making choices, that might not be ideal. <laughs> <laughs> but but if you're someone who can who can make the tough calls and can look at something and, and learn your market and understand what cover might work and, and whatnot um, and find the right cover designer for you, then then you can do it all and you can make those decisions. Yeah, I'm so glad that you said find the right cover designer because the problem with many um, indie authors that I've seen is they seem to think that they can design their own covers themselves. And so the cover ends up looking like something you designed yourself, and which is great if you're a graphic designer or someone who's really good at this kind of thing. But I feel like as indie authors, we should be reaching out to people who have got expertise in certain areas and your covers are always so, so stunning. So you've clearly done your research and found somebody who, you know, gets you and gets your work. Yes, I I have a fantastic, her name is Hong Lee and she is fantastic. I've been working with her since, I don't even know how long, years now. And she's, she's great. Um, and I, you know, with simple wild, I basically handed her that cover and I said, I'm writing a sequel. You, you need to make it flow with this. <laughs> and, and, um, I didn't need to tell her exactly what, you know, I might've thrown some ideas and, and, and this and that, but the thing is with her, there was already a concept there. So she just had to match it. Um, but she's also excellent with coming up with a new concept. So for me, Personally, if I have if I'm hiring a, a, a talented cover artist, I can tell them what the genre is, what the look and feel is, you know, maybe a couple ideas, and which is what I would do a lot of the time with Atria. So Atria was very good about with covers with with us in that um, we always work together with covers. I know there's horror stories about uh, traditional publishers who they just say, "Here's your cover, and you're yeah. going with it because this is what." our test markets say, or this is what we think will sell. Atria was never like that. They were, we always worked back and forth. And most of the time they nailed it on the first time. There were a couple of times where they would send me a cover and it just did not work. Or I'd look at it and then I'd line it up with my, all of my covers, which are frankly are quite branded and say, you know, one of these doesn't belong. (laughs) So, and, and they would always come back with another cover. So they worked really, really well, but you don't necessarily always have that. And Instagram, well, Bookstagram especially is so visual. Bookstagrammers love taking beautiful pictures of books and they spend hours setting these books up. And like with your books, they'll use props from the books and they will use boots and they will use hats and they will use flannel shirts and all kinds of things that go along with the theme of the book to make that picture beautiful. So they want the book cover to be beautiful as well. Um, and that's something you provide them with. It's, inc- it's incredible. I'm, I'm, you know, a lot of the time I will share these, these pictures and these edits because they're just, they're stunning and because they put so much work into them and I cannot do anything close to that. So of course I'm going to share, you know, and I get a lot of bloggers coming back saying thank you for sharing and and I'm like you know you're doing me a huge favor here because like this is just gorgeous what they come up with so yeah they creating creating content okay so besides control what else would you say the pros of self-publishing are so I would say uh financially it's it's much more lucrative um and when I say that the caveat is I'm talking about romance 
So, and I'm talking about having a bit of, I can't speak to what it would be like as a completely new author coming out, because even when I was that new author coming out, it was a very different world than what it is now. But in terms of just looking at percentages and, you know, if you sell a thousand copies traditionally published versus a thousand copies self-published, it's much more lucrative to be self-publishing. And then again, in romance where I'm not sure what the split is right now, but I want to say the last I heard was at least 50% ebook, possibly more, you know, of where the market split is of, of ebook readers versus print. Again, there's there's a huge um, profitable position to be in if you're indie publishing there. I'm just trying to think. I think most traditionally published authors, I think if a paperback sells for its full price in a bookstore, I think a author will get a dollar. Yeah, it sounds yeah. about right. Whereas, I mean, if you're if you're indie publishing, even p- paperback indie publishing, you're going to make significantly more on a per book paperback. So, I mean, financially, there are there are benefits. Um, other things that I'm actually only learning now is with marketing. Um, you know, especially if you're with Amazon and you're self publishing, you can tap into their their advertising platform that they have. And I mean, that's a beast all on its own. And I spent. I did a couple courses on it to try and learn how to do it. And, and, but if you're traditionally published, you can't run those types of ads. And as much as we might not enjoy saying this, Amazon has a, is, is very, is extremely powerful and they are important. Uh, if you are an author, you know, I, and I do whatever I can to support indie bookstores and do whatever I can to support chapters in Indigo. I'm always pushing Canadians to go there even though, frankly, I'm not going to, it's not as lucrative for me for someone to purchase at Indigo as it is to purchase at Amazon, but I would prefer to support Indigo, frankly, or or an indie bookstore, a Canadian indie bookstore. But they're, yeah, it's they're a big platform. You can't just ignore them as much as some people would like to. At the end of the day, this is our career. It's our livelihood. And sometimes you don't always have the luxury of saying, well, I'm cutting off a whole segment of my income. What else besides financial would you say? Well, so yeah, so there's the control, there's the flexibility. For me right now, I'm really feeling um, the creative freedom. And again, I never had any difficulties with my editor. I've, I've heard horror stories about people who would write a book and then submit it. And then the publisher would come back saying, you need to change all of these things. Obviously, they're doing it from the with the intention of making the book stronger and better. Um, so I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's a hard thing probably to deal with for, for anyone. I, I never really had that. I had a strange working relationship with my editor in the sense that I'd always, because I, I sold books that were not written, I would be writing them as we were working and I'd have a deadline and I'd hit this percent at this wall at about 50 or 60% where I'd be like, I cannot go any further until I have my editor's buy-in, which is, is it was tough. And, and it took me quite a few books to realize that it's because I was no longer writing that book just for me. And I, I was writing it for me and someone else and really for someone else to have to approve. And that's that's a mental game for me. Um, and so I'm finding now, especially, I am loving being able to just write my book however I want it without that mental block that I have to get someone's approval. And at the end of it, I get to publish what I want, 100% what I want. The story is going to go how I want and I don't need any approval. Now, I'm saying all that and not in a negative sense, because I do believe that editors are key. And if you have a good editor, man, are you, you're in a good place. And I was fortunate to have a good editor for many years and I learned a ton. And so I'm in a position now where I think I can analyze 
um, my stories and my content in a way that I would not have been able to six years ago or seven or eight years ago. Right. Especially when you're kind of just starting out, when you're a beginner writer, I feel like you don't have the discernment. I think that once you've published a few books, written a few books, you start to develop a kind of instinctive understanding of how story works, what's going to work, what's not going to work. But I think that that comes with the help of the editor, definitely. And Something else is that I feel that as writers these days, we are having to market our own work so much, even publishing traditionally. Even if your publisher sends you on a book tour, you are still having to be on social media. You are having to constantly be hustling. You're having to be getting events. You're having to be speaking to book clubs, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, people seem to think if you traditionally published, the publisher does everything for you. They get you in magazines and you sit back and count your money, uh, <laughs> which is definitely not the case. No, and, no. and, you know, as authors, we, I mean, I, I spend about four nights a week chatting to, to book clubs. And these are things that I set up myself. It's not things that are set up by my publisher. So it's a lot of work. And at least when you're publishing for yourself, you feel like the payoff is there, you know, so much more in terms of, of money, et cetera, as well. As we finish up, Kathleen, what advice do you have for authors who are trying to break in who are thinking about self-publishing their work. I've had tons of people reach out to me who wanting to publish fantasy. They wanted to publish romance. They uh, YA all over the place. So, well, it's a big, that's a really big question. I would say, I know it sounds pretty simple, but it's a big question. Um, one thing I've learned just through over the years is that different things make different people tick in, in the publishing world. There are people who, who are just in it financially for the finances, right? And um, I see that quite a bit. Some people might laugh at that, but if you're a romance writer and you're an indie writer, you can be in it for the finances and be doing quite well. So, um, you know, there are some people that are like that. There's other people who their goal is to hit the New York Times. That's all they want to do. There are some people who their goal is they want to be traditionally published. That That is their kind of bucket list. That's their their checklist, that's that's what's going to make them feel successful. So one thing I would say is maybe to step back and understand, I'll say this, it's tough to do this if you're starting out because your target's going to change as you move forward as you're writing as well. But get try to get a handle of what your goals are, what your short-term goals are, what your long-term goals are, what your dreams versus goals are, because you can have dreams and you can have goals that you're working towards. That's kind of the overall, doesn't matter what genre you're writing in. But I would say, understand the genre that you're writing in. If you're writing, if you're writing romance, you can, you have a lot more flexibility, I would say, with choosing between traditionally publishing and self-publishing. If you are writing something that is very targeted or you're writing, um, you know, even women's fiction, which is to me still quite commercial and quite popular now more than anything. If, you, if you're writing you know, thriller, if you're writing suspense, I would say you're going to have a much harder time breaking into the market. So maybe traditionally publishing is the avenue for you. But my feeling has always been, and that's the position where I started, is I have a book. I want people to read it. It doesn't need to be, I don't need to be traditionally published. I just want people to read it. And so then I, and I pursued that through self-publishing, but just know what's, what's going to feel like failure versus success to you. Maybe write it down and remember that because there's going to be ups and downs. There's, I have ups and downs. Um, you know, you, you sit here and you say all these wonderful, wonderful things about me, but I've had some serious downs over the last couple of years and points where I was thinking, you know what, I don't know if I should be doing this. Maybe this career isn't for me. So everyone goes through those, those, 
dips, those valleys and those highs and those lows. And and, and even when you're feeling very successful, the, the, the goalposts shift oh. all the time. Yeah. You'll, you'll say, oh, if, if this happens, I will feel super successful. And then the goalpost shifts all the time. So I think writing it down and keeping an eye on that is super important. Yeah, being aware because, man, some, some days and sometimes this, this business can be tough. Keep in mind that you're not just a writer, you are a business owner. So whether you're going to be traditionally published or or self-published, you are going to be your own marketing person. You're going to be your own kind of business manager because you're going to be working with a publisher. You're going to be your own writer. You're going to be writing. You're going to be probably doing your own accounting unless you can afford someone to go through all your receipts, which I mean, I still go through all my receipts and that could be a control thing. But anyway, yeah. So I would say just keep that in mind that no one's just a writer. <laughs> so you're, you're doing a lot of stuff. Don't, I'm not saying this in the sense of, of deterring anyone because I actually like the balance of everything. You spent some time just a short while ago learning Amazon marketing and all these things and you'd self-published and yet here you were learning how to do this because it was an important part of your business. Yeah, ex- exactly. Thank you, Kathleen, for taking the time. I know you're trying to finish a book and you've got so much happening, but I really, really appreciate this. I know that people are going to find it really, really interesting and helpful. And that's it for today's episode. If you have any questions about writing or publishing, please email me at theshitaboutwriting at gmail.com and I'll do my best to get them answered for you. I hope you'll join us for next week's show. In the meantime, keep at it. Remember, it just takes one yes. Great news! The beta reader matchup is now open for March. Are you looking for beta readers, some of whom might potentially become writing group members down the line? Are you wanting to be matched up with those writing in a similar genre and time zone so they can critique your work as you critique theirs at the same time? Your manuscript doesn't have to be complete to sign up. This particular matchup will be open to registrations from now until the 31st of March, with the matchup emails going out on the 1st of April. The only April Fools will be those who haven't signed up. For more information and to register, go to biancamaray.com, look for the Beta Reader Matchup tab, and please spread the word. The more writers we have signed up, the better the matches will be. Hello, listeners. This is your co-host, Cece, and I'm so excited to tell you about my upcoming webinar, Writing Tension. Join me on Thursday, April 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time via Zoom to learn all about creating tension, conflict, and stakes in a story. This is a super popular writing webinar I offer, and it's filled with expert breakdowns, practical tips, formulas for cracking these elements, and real examples from novels that will help you dial up the tension in your story in actionable ways. And this year, I'm doing something extra. On the Monday after the webinar, we're having a live, cozy 90-minute Q&A session in which you'll get a chance to ask your questions about the webinar. That means we'll get to hang out for two days total. And if you can't attend the webinar, and or the cozy Q&A session, don't worry. They will be recorded and shared with everyone who's registered. There are limited spots for this webinar in this new format. So if you're interested, check out the link on my Instagram page and sign up. The handle is at Agent. That's at C-E-C-E-L-Y-R-A 
agent. I hope to see you there. Great news! The beta reader matchup is now open for March. Are you looking for beta readers, some of whom might potentially become writing group members down the line? Are you wanting to be matched up with those writing in a similar genre and time zone so they can critique your work as you critique theirs at the same time? Your manuscript doesn't have to be complete to sign up. This particular matchup will be open to registrations from now until the 31st of March, with the matchup emails going out on the 1st of April. The only April Fools will be those who haven't signed up. For more information and to register, go to biancamaray.com, look for the Beta Reader Matchup tab, and please spread the word. The more writers we have signed up, the better the matches will be. Hello, listeners. This is your co-host, Cece, and I'm so excited to tell you about my upcoming webinar, Writing Tension. Join me on Thursday, April 11th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time via Zoom to learn all about creating tension, conflict, and stakes in a story. This is a super popular writing webinar I offer, and it's filled with expert breakdowns, practical tips, formulas for cracking these elements, and real examples from novels that will help you dial up the tension in your story in actionable ways. And this year, I'm doing something extra. On the Monday after the webinar, we're having a live, cozy 90-minute Q&A session in which you'll get a chance to ask your questions about the webinar. That means we'll get to hang out for two days total. And if you can't attend the webinar, and or the cozy Q&A session, don't worry. They will be recorded and shared with everyone who's registered. There are limited spots for this webinar in this new format. So if you're interested, check out the link on my Instagram page and sign up. The handle is at Agent. That's at C-E-C-E-L-Y-R-A Agent. I hope to see you there.